Good morning, church family. It's one of the greatest stories told in the Bible. I thought I'd heard one person who was at VBS and uh, day camp say something when I said the word Bible, you would say, oh, you got it, right? Goldmine is what the kids would say every time someone said Bible because, yeah, it's pure gold, right? What we find in God's word is so good for us. So, one of the greatest stories ever told in the Bible. Oh, man, you guys are weak. <laughs> Let me try it one more time. Just because um, we're in the spirit of Mr. J still and his band and all the great ministry that happened. By the way, can you imagine over 30 kids came to know Jesus this last week? That's so, man, that's so cool. Praise, um, praise God, really. Uh, and for those of you who prayed, I just want to say, isn't it sweet to hear the answer of God when he says yes? And it's so good. So this great story, it's filled with um, jealousy and intrigue and astonishing bravery and risky faith and empire-altering things that happen. In it. And um, plus, it's got lions in it. This story's got lions in it. And as a young man, what I thought was great is the bad guys get in the end. It's such a good story. Daniel chapter 6. Turn your Bible open to Daniel chapter 6. This is the last in our series work as worship. We've been considering Daniel 1 through 6, thinking about how God's word prompts us to be fully his when we're at work and we're in school and how it, it moves us into a place of worship throughout our week, not just when we're on, here on Sunday morning, but throughout our week. So Daniel chapter 6, it begins this way. First one, it pleased Darius, who is the new ruler of this new empire. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, that is governors, to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. We're not precisely sure who Darius was, but we believe he's the second in command. Cyrus is the leader of the entire empire for the uh, Medo-Persian empire that just comes into power, if you were with us last week, when uh, Babylon fell, and now the Medo-Persian empire is on the rise, and Darius now is in charge of the entire region that they had taken over Babylon and its surrounding region. And he, as a new governor who is wise and not naive, decides to enlist 120 people, governors, who would take each geographical region and rule and bring administration to that. And he has three people who are going to be over the top of those three governors. It's a system of checks and balances. And Darius chooses Daniel as one of those who would lead, which is remarkable when you think about the arc of Daniel's life. Another new foreign power comes, and Daniel is chosen to be high up in the leadership of them. Daniel 3, then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. It's a remarkable move. Here at the end of Daniel's life, chapter 1, we saw Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael go as just young men. 
into exile and into a new place, a brand new place. And throughout our survey of this part of the book, we've seen them mature and go through remarkable challenges to their faith. And now it's at the end of Daniel's life and a new empire is on the rise. And remarkably, Daniel is chosen to be one of the leaders of this new foreign power. Just as happened under Nebuchadnezzar, Darius recognized Daniel for his character and his competency. And when you consider the whole of Daniel's life, it's such a remarkable encouragement to us, a challenge for us, how God was at work in Daniel's place of work. Just like he desires to be in your place of work or schooling, wherever God might have you planted right now in his purposes, he has you there. And just like in Daniel's case, it's to be an influence. Daniel, because of his faithfulness and his character and his pursuit of God, was lifted up to a place of leadership and influence that's remarkable when you think about who he is. He's just an exile, and he's an older man, and now he's once again lifted up. Verse 4, Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Unless we can undercut and use his faith against him, we can't find anything, even though they did their very best to find something against Daniel. So, Daniel gets elevated, and predictably, other people get jealous. The other governors wanted the power and prestige of this position that Daniel was being elevated to. And I know that would never happen in your place of work where someone would get a bigger office or a bigger paycheck or have more influence, but it's happening here in this government. So his opponents furiously dig for dirt, which, of course, would never happen in the American government. It's also highly likely that these leaders who were engaged in the plot against Daniel had something to lose financially because Daniel had a reputation for living his life and governing, doing his work with integrity. And if they had to answer to Daniel, their own corruption could come to light. The possibilities for kickbacks and skewed contracts and favoritism would be thrown out the window, and they stood to lose a lot. So they were motivated to undercut Daniel. And there's this huge dichotomy or difference that we see in the text between Daniel's character and the character of those who plot against him. Darius wanted someone trustworthy, so he looks out at all the governors and he sees this guy who stands apart from the crowd because of his character and because of his unique life, the way he lives out his faith, which was different than all the other people there in leadership. And he wants that. He sees it in Daniel's life and wants it. And those opponents of Daniel, they get jealous and even though he hadn't bent any rules or compromised on his ethics or mistreated people below him or cut moral corners or even made any bad decisions, he's got this sterling reputation. They still want to bring him down. And yet they're stumped. They don't know how to do it. And the only thing they can come up with is, let's use his faith against him. Verse 6, Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, 
Oh, King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors and governors, all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any God or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast in the den of lions. They're schmoozers is what they are, right? They're, they're trying to kiss up to this king and say, oh, you can, we want this law and the law is that no one can pray to anybody but you because you deserve everyone's praise and adulation. They're just trying to get on his good side, but also use that, his own pride, against him to trap Daniel. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so they cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. One of the unique things about this new empire was that they were a system of laws. And those laws, to protect against corruption of rulers, could not be changed by the ruler. Once the law went into effect, it was established and was irrevocable. So they're trying to use this and manipulate the law against Daniel. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. He gives in to the false praise of all these leaders. Those who are plotting with Daniel, they come up with this plan. It's a commitment to undercut Daniel. And they spin this obvious lie. Now, how do we know it's obvious, this lie? Think about it for a second. They come up to, the, to King Darius and they say, Every one of the politicians in this entire land has agreed on this. Yeah, okay, so when does that ever happen? When do we see every politician agree on one thing? Never happens, right? So we know this is obvious lie. These guys have plotted against it. They're manipulating the law that was meant for protection against corruption to corrupt this king, and he buys into it, naively buys into this. And they think that they've... Won the day. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Now, Daniel had developed a discipline, a spiritual habit that was critical for his life. I'm sure he had a set of spiritual disciplines. This was one that becomes obvious that three times a day, he puts the brakes on in his life. Now, I have a question for you. Is your life busier than Daniel's was ruling an entire kingdom? Yeah. So he puts the brakes on three times a day, gets down on his knees in a posture of prayer like so he won't be distracted and remembers what he's doing, humbles himself before God, and gives him thanks. It's a great spiritual discipline, right? Humbling when you see the, the character of this leader. And he prays, even though he knows what's just happened. He understands the consequences of what's just happened. See, Daniel, he, um, he could have just closed the shutters, Right? People didn't have to know, did they? He could have closed the shutters and prayed in secret so no one would have seen him. Or he could have just put his faith on the back burner. It was only for a month, right? We've all gone through that, that uh, struggle with compromise. Maybe God, um, you know, I'm really busy this month. 
got all these other things happening, and I don't want to risk, you know, offending people or them thinking that I'm spiritually pious or whatever. So he had all these things that he could have bent to and not did what he did. But for Daniel, prayer really mattered. And his relationship with God mattered above all else. He would not sacrifice what breathed life into him. He wouldn't do it. And that was his time with God. His, his prayers wouldn't be sacrificed on the altar of convenience. And if forced to choose between his faith and his relationship with God and the laws of the land, Daniel would choose his faith and his relationship with God. Daniel chose civil disobedience. When Jesus is um, confronted with a similar ethical dilemma question, this is how he responds. Matthew records it for us. And the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, that's to Jesus, along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you have paid no attention to who they are. They're just, again, trying to whitewash the truth. That's not really what's in their heart, but they're just saying this to Jesus. Then tell us, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? They're trying to trick him. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a Daenerys, and he said to them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, here's the kicker, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Give to God what is God's. When they heard this, They were amazed, and they left him and went away. Give to God what is God's. She begs the question, what is God's? What belongs to God in your life at school? What belongs to God throughout your work week and in your home and in your marriage? What belongs to God with all of your stuff? Yeah, right? That's... that's, What God challenges to us, every pick and thing, all of it belongs to him. So Daniel will not sacrifice it. Daniel keeps on praying. And though the text hints that he knows what people are going to do with the new law to to undermine him, he doesn't hide what he's doing. He's not trying to be overly pious, but he just gets on his knees. And for all those who can see him, he just declares his allegiance to God Throughout the day, he keeps praying. There's a lot to think about in this example, in this model, isn't it? Be challenged by it in our walk. See, prayer matters deeply to him because he knows that great leadership is dependent on God's activity. Great leadership is dependent on God's activity. The most important things that you're engaged in in life are dependent on what God does, not what you do. And they come as a response to your conversation and request to God. So Daniel keeps praying. And he knows that people are watching him. He knows it matters what he does. If he compromises, he's going to proclaim to all those who are younger, who have been raised up in Babylon, who are wondering whether they can depend on a, a living God like Daniel does and follow him. They look up to him. They respect him. What is Daniel going to do in this moment? 
And Daniel provides a genuine example of uncompromising faith that inspires others. When you provide a genuine example of uncompromising faith, it inspires others to follow Jesus. When you're at work and you're tempted to not follow through with being a woman of God, a man of God, when you're at school and that temptation happens, remember other people are watching and wanting to know what it looks like to follow Jesus. So Daniel prays. And these people, they needed to see him be faithful. And Daniel also knows that no matter how busy life gets, prayer has to be a priority. It's just got to be a priority. I have conversations with people occasionally who wrestle like I do when life gets super busy and you're in the middle of this crunch and life speeds up and responsibilities are piling up at work and our days seem to grow shorter and time is this precious commodity to us and consistent prayer can get squeezed out of our schedule. But consider this. It's highly unlikely that you'll ever get to the place of responsibility that Daniel was at. And yet he's faithful to his prayer life. You may say, Ron, you don't know. what I'm just sapped at the end of the day. Hey, Daniel's in his 80s at this point. And he's still pulling it off, right? He's just a man. He's just a guy who God has used because he's been faithful. Prayer's got to be a priority. Ever wonder why Daniel was so respected by this stream of leaders that keep coming up? Or why God used him so powerfully? Or why his character remains intact through all the wild challenges he faces? You ever wonder why he was a man whose life was marked by wisdom? It's because he prayed. Because he was consistent in his relationship with God. He wouldn't cut corners in it. And he understood that great leadership is dependent on God's activity. And that people need to see this genuine commitment to uncompromising faith because that would inspire them. And because no matter how busy life gets, prayer has to be a priority. Let me encourage you today to pray. Now, you've heard this before, right? If you are a person who has ever come to church, you've heard people encourage you to pray. But let me encourage you to get into a posture of prayer and pray more than once in your day. I think that's the heart of this chapter and its encouragement and Daniel's model to us. Sometime today, get away, put the brakes on, and pray. And then try tomorrow to put the brakes on in your schedule and give thanks to God. Daniel prays, and as he prays, he prays toward Jerusalem, we're told, a city leveled by the Babylonians. He prays toward a temple that no longer stands. Daniel's actions show that it's not the promised land or the city of Jerusalem or the temple that's vital. It's his relationship with the living God that matters. Verse 11, these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. So they see him praying. Scandalous, right? And they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction? that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast in the den of lions. And the king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. And they answered and said before the king, Daniel, 
who is one of the exiles from Judah. That's his identity. Pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. They head straight for Darius when they've got the goods on Daniel, and they tattle. And they're trying to make sure that Daniel faces the consequences of what he's done, that they get rid of Daniel for good. They make their accusation after they trap the king, and they believe that they had caught Daniel red-handed, and they're signaling to the king that he's got to punish him, and he's got to follow through. Verse 14, then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored until the sun went down to rescue him. King Darius hadn't known Daniel that long, and yet he's got this great affection for him. And he has this great respect for Daniel and his relationship with the living God. And he does not want to do what he's been trapped into. And he obviously sees now that he's been duped. And he tries to figure out how he can get away from following through with the consequences of the law. But he can't. These men, verse 15, came by agreement to the king. They said, no, O king, that's the law of the Medes and Persians. It's your law. That no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. We gotcha. And it's notable, I think, how Darius reacts. He wants so much to try to figure out how to get Daniel off the hook, but he knows that he's trapped. And so, verse 16, the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. What a great reputation, isn't it? Whom you serve continually. Wouldn't that be sweet to have that kind of reputation at work? A place you go to school. To be known as someone who just, I might disagree with you. I might have issues with you. But one thing I know about you is that you serve God continually. This is always on your heart to serve him. It's a great reputation for Daniel. And that's how they address him or uh, the, Darius addresses him. May he deliver you. And a stone was brought, verse 17, and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, his ring. And with the signet of his lords, they all walk forward and stamp on this stone that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. So Darius, who was not a follower of the living God, sees this happen in Daniel's life, and it profoundly affects him. And he fasts. That is, he starts praying to the living God. He won't take any, won't have any distraction, and all night long he doesn't sleep, and he's just pouring his heart out to God, not really knowing the living God, and not really knowing that God would deliver, if God could deliver. He didn't know if he was powerful enough, that he actually did live. Because his whole, his whole background was respecting and pouring out his worship to false gods, gods who didn't live, gods who didn't answer the prayer. And yet he just starts fasting and praying out to God for deliverance for Daniel. And he couldn't sleep. See, Darius is unlike the Babylonian rulers before him. He got it. He admired Daniel's faith, and in crisis, 
in Daniel's crisis, he starts seeking to imitate Daniel's life. And he gets so caught up in Daniel's plight and his own role and his own responsibility and what he's done to Daniel. He can't think of anything else, and he just starts imitating Daniel, which is great when you think about Daniel's in there because of his prayer life, and now the king is trying to imitate it. And then verse 19, then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. So he's got all his people with him, I'm sure. And he goes running to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cries out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Is he big enough? Is he powerful enough? Daniel, are you there? Notice what Darius notices about Daniel, that he continually serves the living God. And the only question Darius has is whether God, this God of Daniel, was personal and powerful enough to pull off deliverance, whether God would intercede on our behalf. That's what he's wondering. Does God step in? Men and women, that's the story written here not just in Daniel, but throughout the book, that God intercedes. He steps in on our behalf. That's what the author of Hebrews is writing about when he speaks of the intercession of Christ, that God steps in. He says, Jesus has become a guarantee of a better covenant. We're about ready to celebrate that here at the table in communion, that this is a better covenant agreement between us because it's not based on our works, our activity. It's based on the intercession of God that Jesus Christ came down in life, space, history, and he interceded on our behalf. He lived and he died on a cross. He shed his blood for us in interceding for us. And because of that, I can have mercy and forgiveness of God. Because of that, I can join the over 30 kids who came to discover that this week. I can discover that Jesus intercedes, that God is the great intercessor, and he lives to do that. And the author of Hebrews says, because Jesus lives forever, that is, because he conquered death and rose from the grave, he has a permanent priesthood. He keeps interceding for us. Verse 25 Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. That's how you come to God, through the intercession of God, through Jesus Christ, who stepped in for you to give you forgiveness and wholeness and healing. Because, the author of Hebrews says, he always lives to intercede for them. He's still doing it, even this day. When this story of Daniel's rescue plays out, in my imagination, I think there's a pause. The king comes running, and he's pleading. He's just anguishing. He's chewing his fingernails. He's wondering if Daniel's God is powerful enough. And I think Daniel just lets him sit there for a second. And the whole crowd just kind of building up the tension. Is he really dead? Could God possibly save him? Verse 21 Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me. 
because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I've done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. That's the story of Daniel, right? Because he trusted, God gave life. Because trusting in the living God brings life. That's why we're here this morning, by the way, men and women. Because trusting in the living God brings life to us. Because Jesus interceded on our behalf, we can have life and forgiveness. We can be whole and have relationship with God and have great confidence in that, just like Daniel did. Throughout the night in that den with hungry lions, I'm sure that Daniel had all kinds of opportunities not to trust God and just pouring out his heart, God, I trust you. This is really hard. I trust you. I'm going to keep trusting you. And in the early morning, he's still wrestling through this trust because God is like that. He keeps stretching our faith and our trust in him. And that's what brings life, the trust in a living God. It's what brought life to all those kids this week and what can bring life to you if you do not yet know him and haven't trusted him. He's just waiting for you to turn to him and be honest and tell him. And in those places of your life, friend, if you are a believer and you have struggled in trust this week, he is still waiting again this morning for you to say, God, help me in my unbelief. I want to trust you. Nourish and encourage my faith. And the king commanded, and those, verse 24, who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives as a young boy. I love this passage. I love this. Like, they finally got theirs. Ate them all up. That's great. Okay, I was a little twisted as a young boy. Okay, I'm going to admit it. But this is a boy story, right? This is great. And then I got to um, think about the text as my little older, and I thought, Wow, that, that's like there's some injustice going on. Oh, what's with the penalty with the wives and the young kids? They didn't, they didn't have anything to do with this, the plotting. But it's about the justice of the Medes and Persians that could be extremely harsh. It's not the justice of God. Because God's justice, although faithful and true and holy, is connected to his mercy that he intercedes on our behalf and he gives us his love. That's why we are we're here, right, and celebrating it. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones to pieces. It's this grisly end at the end. And here's the story, that the, the point being made, that those who oppose the plans of God remove themselves from his protection. Daniel stepped into the protection of God because he trusted God and was protected. And the others who stepped who stepped away from God's plan. They removed themselves from the protection of God. Verse 25, And King Darius wrote to all the peoples and nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It's coming out of his heart, this finally experienced peace with God. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he's the living God. What he doesn't say is, and I'm not. I'm not going to make a law like this again where I'm so stupid that I would have people pray to me. You got to tremble and fear before the living God. 
enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The end of the story, we have this one final remarkable turn, right? It's remarkable, fascinating that this King Darius becomes a follower of the living God. And not only that, he uses his power and influence to send letters to every world leader and every people group that he can find, telling them of his relationship with the living God and underscoring these points from Daniel 1 through 6 that you'll find throughout the book. First, there is only one living God worthy of our worship every moment of our lives. At school, at work, at home, everything I do, only one living God who is worthy of me living for him and living my life in such a way that I bring praise and honor to him. There's only one. That's his conclusion. That's what he sends out to everybody. And that, actually, that message is found throughout Daniel, in Daniel 1 through 6. Second, there's only one eternal kingdom that's greater than all other kingdoms. Again, it's the story of Daniel, right? Daniel chapter 2, remember? Nebuchadnezzar gets a dream. Daniel gives the interpretation. And it's the story that there's one enduring kingdom. Why wouldn't you want to be part of that kingdom that lasts? It outlasts the Babylonians. It will outlast the Medes and Persians. Darius says it right here. There's only one kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. And three, there's only one true deliverer worthy of following in every circumstance. There's only one who rescues and delivers like Daniel's God. There's only one. And you can know him. You can follow him. And you can take time to put on the brakes throughout your day to thank him. I don't want to strongly encourage you to do that. Let me pray for you. Father, so grateful for this great challenge, this great word from you. Let it sink deep in us. Help us to follow you, give you praise. We're so grateful that you would be one who would intercede and step in on our behalf so that we might have a relationship with the living God and help us to live and to work in reflection of that. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.